HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to In The Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I am your host, Joe Campanelli, and we have a great show for you today. I am so excited. I know I say that a lot, but I actually today actually truly am excited to have Justin Tierno here of the Four Horsemen. Four Horsemen is my favorite place to eat and drink these days. I keep going back. I bring winemakers uh, from out of town. I bring sommeliers. I bring... Uh, my girlfriend, Alyssa, because it's her favorite place, too. Um, Justin and I go back. We actually went back to uh, we went to the country of Georgia together. It's true. Um, and uh, I was a big fan of the shop where uh, he was the buyer at, at Uva uh, for eight years. And Justin, just welcome to In the Drink. You're the man. I'm so excited to have you here. So great to be here, man. Thank you very much. So what is the Four Horsemen? When I describe it to people, um, sometimes I start saying it's a wine bar, but I think like the food is better than at pretty much any restaurant. The food is outstanding. Um, so is it, a, is it a small restaurant with an outstanding wine list? Is it a wine bar? Is it a natural wine bar? I think we ran into a lot of semantic issues when we decided, when we were talking about what we were. We were really naive. You know, we're four people that had never run a place like this before and then really thought about that I'm, and um, James and I both had a lot of experience in music but it's obvious like when you're a band you're a band you know this is mu- your music you're kind of fit into this world and, and the journalists or whatever describe that to you when you're doing a restaurant it's up to you to tell people what you are and what you're going to be and we because we're influenced by places like Vetstraden in, uh, in Copenhagen or a hero store in Tokyo or Vervelet in, pl- in places like that, that we loved in, in France we used the term wine bar. And what we meant was this idea that you would come in and drink 
and eat food. And that was like, and they, like the way we did it, we'd go there and have dinner and that was our night. In New York, it sort of means summer you go and order some charcuterie and have a glass of wine and then go to dinner somewhere else. <laughs> and so what, what we are is a restaurant full on, like without a doubt. We, we, used, we, we tried to use a loosely defined uh, version of what we were and realized it was the wrong thing. And we're a restaurant completely with a wine focus. We're a restaurant with a, with a good seller with you know, 36 seats and over 400 references on the list these days. And um, it's growing. The room that the wine is in is not growing, yeah. so it's an issue. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're certainly a restaurant. And I think that what we're, and because we've been able to sort of have a nice slow kind of burn over the last two years, um, the food has really gotten to a level that I think is really exceptional and I'm really proud of. And I mean, without, without a doubt, like, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a place to eat. Yeah. It feels like a, a wine restaurant it keeps coming to mind as you're saying that yeah. this is a, it's a restaurant. I mean, I had a full dinner there last week and, mm-hmm. uh, was outstanding. Actually I had friends in from out of town a few weeks ago, uh, chef from the DC area and, okay. uh, uh, he went on a big tour of a bunch mm-hmm. of restaurants and wanted to come back to uh, Four oh, Horsemen really when, when he's back. Oh yeah, this, you guys are doing such great, such great work. Um, but uh, tell us about how the four of you guys got together. Um, well, I mean, James and I had been friends for quite a few years through music, and then um, he and his wife uh, Christina had met Randy, um, who's our fourth partner. In Los Angeles, when they had their engagement party, he was a friend of a friend of theirs and showed up with a bunch of great wine, and they got to know each other. Mm-hmm. And they're like, who's this guy? Like, why does he know about this stuff? And we started talking, and then he had decided that he wanted to, the next project he wanted to do was a wine project. Um, we all thought that the place that we wanted to hang out didn't exist here. And there were tons of places that we loved to go, but the thing that hit all the buttons that we wanted wasn't really here in the way that we wanted to what we wanted to see here was a place with like a staff that was really passionate about what we did with a kitchen that was really passionate, putting out like exceptional food um, that was pushing and a culture with maybe without a sommelier so that the restaurant was really based on your experience with the people that worked there mm-hmm. a little more um, and less about like, Oh, I went on Tuesday and the per the, the, the cool person who does the wine wasn't there. So I kind of had a lesser experience. Like really like every time you come in, you can, we wanted to feel like you can say come the again service again. is outstanding. I mean, That's something we really push for. And we lucked out and we have, in my opinion, we just have really great people. You really do. And, and you have a lot of people working in the small space, which, we do. which is impressive to me. You know, it's a dance uh, in there. You know, we had, uh, I used to be part of a wine bar in the West village called Anfora and, I thought our service was pretty good, uh, but you know we had half as many people, and so I go to Forest. I'm like, oh man, like they really stepped it up with the service here. Well, and, we started and with just, fewer people, yeah, and and we've just kept adding because we realized that like it, you know, when when we're trying, you know, we're not a, we're not an inexpensive restaurant, and and what we're trying to do with products that we use and the wines that we serve and the, and the just the quality that we wanna that we wanna put forward, it costs money and. You can't have you can't feel like it's like a like you're just at a place where you have like burgers and like in like cold Beaujolais or something like it really has to you know it has to fire perfectly. We want to be on a really high level, and I feel like we have people that they, that our staff gets excited when we're like, hey, we want to like really step things up, and they're like, yes, we want to step things up too. We really want to we really want to focus more. We want more details. We want to make things more special, and and that's really exciting. 
it, rather than people feeling put who, out. Like, uh, who's never, you know, worked. I, have you worked in the restaurant industry never, before? Never. And I imagine that James Murphy is not. We a, all, like, all four of us had these fantasies that, you know, when we were opening this place that we'd like strap on an apron yeah. and like walk around and like run plates and pour wine. And the minute you see people who've worked in a restaurants for a very long time, do what they do. You understand that like, you just have to stay the hell out of the way and like, you know, go around, be nice, make an appearance. Like, you know, it's good to, as an owner to be involved and I'm really excited to be there. Like I love being there. I love talking to my friends that are there, new friends or people that have come from a far, from a long way away. We get so many people from other countries and stuff like that. They're excited and it's really fun, but I'll drop the plates. I'll bump into people. I'll knock things over. And you realize it really quickly. Mm-hmm. And like, it's best to like, just stay out of the way and let, let the professionals handle all that stuff. Yeah, but you, you're managing them, right? And so right. How, do, how do you know how mm-hmm. to... It's just impressive yeah. to me mm-hmm. that, you're, that they're operating on such a high level. You've obviously hired great people who are attracted to work there because of what a great place mm-hmm. it is. Um, but as someone who doesn't have a ton of experience in the industry, like, how are you able to so effectively run such a great restaurant? Well, we have great management. First of all, I know great chef, our chef Nick Cartola and our GM um, Amanda Spina are awesome, and they really understand service and people respect them, and like everybody kind of works together. And you know, and you know, when you have somebody like Nick who's putting out the, f- the food that he that he does and works as hard as he does, like you don't want to disappoint the kitchen and the restaurant. I think the staff understands that, and they really try to keep things up. And we have such a small place; everybody sees everything, and every detail is really apparent. And um, you know, for us, like, as far as our ability to manage, like, we're, I've spent um, a, a too high of a percentage of my personal income on eating in restaurants around the world for too long, you know, and in, in, perhaps a completely irresponsible percentage of my, of my income. And I really do see those things. Like, I love being in restaurants. Like, I love restaurant culture. I love the feeling of being in places. I like... When you know, we know, you know, when it's like when you travel and, and you go to a place and you walk in and you know that you're in the right place, mm-hmm. like you're in the place and you know, you, you feel the feeling like, you know, you're going to be safe. You know, like Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery and I have this joke about this, this concept of like, we're here to do the thing, you know, like you go to a place and like, you know that you're there to do exactly what they do. You feel safe and you just like let you let go and you like, you get on the ride and like you, you just you have a blast in there. And I feel like that's something we really wanted the restaurant to start to feel like, and it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. But I feel like now at, at, we just hit two years last week. And, um, I really feel like we're getting to that point where people get there and they feel that like, it's the kind of place where you're supposed to just like go all the way and like, and make it, you know, make a night of it. And you could stop in and sit at the bar and have a snack and a glass of wine and do something yeah. else. But, you know, I think that, is that something you actively discuss with the other, with your partners? Oh, yeah. It's something we've, we've talked about from the beginning. You know, like, we talked about this thing um, at Braun in London where um, James spent a lot of time and, and Christina has lived, where people will come in for lunch and then stay through lunch and have dinner. Hmm. And it's like a normal thing there because they wow. do like a lazy Sunday lunch. And that to us is like that fantasy where like, you know, you're so comfortable somewhere. It's like your living room and you're just like, oh, let's just like, have a bottle. Uh, we should go. Now oh, I'm hungry. Like maybe we should just stay here and eat again. And like people have done that, you know, and like, that's really amazing. And, um, that's something you can do by having great service and making people feel comfortable and not being in their way. Like they're so, they're so happy to be there that mm-hmm. like, they'll just like hang out and loiter and it's good. 
And how do you, the four of you, sort of decide what everyone does? Uh, I remember I, I was yeah. w- when I came by and tasted a no-no with you. You'd, oh, yeah. me- you'd mentioned that you and one other partner will polish all the wood, and that's yeah, like yeah. Two, two of your responsibilities. In- well, we don't like have a defined list of responsibilities, <laughs> but like for some reason, Randy and I were the guys that oiled all the teak when it came in and did the research, and we've been doing it for so long. We actually have to do it this week. Um, that we can now get the whole restaurant done in like 45 minutes and like we can just kind of bang it out and now it's just kind of the thing that we do now it's kind of a, a joke we have to stay up till like 2 o'clock in the morning stay in there open all the windows oil all the teak and then and then get out of there but you know little maintenance stuff like that I mean everybody has their things like James and Christine are incredibly aesthetically minded mm-hmm. so they're really good at being like you know the paper that we use for the menu should be this um the light level should be this. We should use these kind of bulbs. You know, James has been designed the stereo system in there and all the acoustical treatments so that it's like a really warm feeling and sounding room. And you yeah, can have a conversation. Yeah, who the music? You do? I know you no, have an no, extensive the, no, we, uh, background. We, I leave that all. Uh, we leave that. The staff asks, the staff kind of asks what, you know, they, they send in a list every month and then we kind of like, these are records that would be cool. To, oh, the staff? They, they, they yeah, they send in a list of the staff and then you edit it exactly. out. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're so, the people that work there. Like, you know, we were that. saying, like, we don't work there. And it's important to create an environment or have an environment where people feel like it's their place. And I feel like, and because we don't have a sommelier on the floor or or that vibe, like, it is the, the front of house and back of house. It's a their place. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's a, it's very important that they have the things that make them comfortable, want to stay there, and and not feel like they're they're just you know being told the way it's going to be. You know, that makes total sense to me. Though yeah. I would personally feel very self conscious about sending music suggestions to you and James. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, that's really the like, thing. But we know, these are our friends. You know, it's been a while. Like these, a lot of these people are our friends. Yeah, like you know, like we we have a very friendly relationship, and we are very open, and we want to listen, and and it's not like a weird thing. I don't think anybody gets that freaked out about it. And like, you know, they roll the dice and hope that it gets approved. And uh, that's it. Yeah. I, I met Randy for the first time mm-hmm. last week. I was mm-hmm. uh, dining with Katie Parla, who's actually uh, been a guest on this show. Um, and we had, we had a great time. And uh, Randy, uh, I, I guess it just shows you, like, it's so smart to bring good wine somewhere. Because right. you said you met him because he brought some, or James well, yeah, met, him because, met him. Yeah, because he, he showed up with great wine, and that wine. opens the doors, you know? It opens the doors, and it's uh, it's pretty spectacular. Now, why yeah. did you choose Williamsburg? I mean, Williamsburg already has so many great places to eat and drink. Uh, maybe down by me in Fort Greene would sure. have been a better well, location. We all, live in, we all live in Williamsburg. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and... Uh, you know, I've been there. I've been in Williamsburg since the late '90s. Oh wow! Um, Randy, when he, I, I'm not sure how long he's been there. And James, and Christine have been in the neighborhood for quite some time, and they actually their home is next door to the restaurant, so they developed a relationship with the landlord. Got it. And we're like, you know, one day if something ever happens with this space, it would be awesome if maybe we can have a discussion about it. And you know, and we were all like, that was kind of our joke, like, oh, one day. We're going to take that space over and we're going to make like our little version of, you know, a hero store in there and it'll be awesome. And like, we'll all work there and blah, blah, you know, just like kind of kidding around, you know, and you didn't and really like our retirement plan. Uh-huh. Well, then like three weeks later, the landlord's like, hey, by the way, that space is available now. Uh-huh. And we're like, oh, my God, like, yeah, let's are we going to do this? And we had a lot of like get togethers and drank and talked and we're like, yeah, let's, you know, let's go all the way. Like, let's let's get the space and let's do it. And we worked out a deal and we built it out for over a year. I mean, it was a real full gutting thing like the the building itself needed a lot of structural stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we dug out the basement and we you know really it was it was a really long project 
I think we were supposed to be open in uh, January of what was 2015, I guess. And we opened June 7th. Wow. So, yeah, it was it was no joke. How I mean, not not took. uncommon to hear about delays, but that's a long delay. And well, there are a few things. We're all we were all amateurs. Mm-hmm. We all put a lot more we there you know, we we weren't on site as much as we all should have been because we all had different jobs and you know, like none of us are you know, employed by the restaurant. Um and and uh, you know, we just weren't really like on it in the way that we should have, you know, mm-hmm. been. But we learned, you know, we learned a lot, and it, it did go the way we wanted it to go. It's just there were a lot of things where we we're like, "That's the wrong material," or "This isn't right," or "Let's change that," or you know what? After you, it was you installed, re- and then you a made little it bit, like you know, you yeah, move yeah. they they remove part of the floor, and they're like, "Oh, there's something down there that's a real problem." Now we have to change that, or you know what I mean? To have the facade of the building refabricated, that kind of stuff. Like it was, it was, it was a tremendous amount of stuff. But um, in the end, we were lucky enough at the time to hold on to our chef. Which was really, really important. You know, he he believed in what we wanted to do and stay. Was he working somewhere? He was dodging places, no, but like we were just like, please, wow. you know, please stick with us. And Nick stayed. That's we're incredible. Really yeah, we're really, we're really lucky. Was your idea from the beginning to have a you know four hundred plus wine selection? Uh, wine list. I mean, I can imagine. We, we that, open. No, go, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Well, as I say, mm-hmm. just imagine that you know that can be you know, the more wine that you have mm-hmm. in your cellar, the the less money that's in your pockets, right? Because right. that's that's all inventory mm-hmm. right. that you're not distributing, you're not paying sure. out, and mm-hmm. so you have to get everyone on board to, mm-hmm. I imagine, you know, to to grow your list to something right. that significant. Uh, you know, I, I it's it's interesting because when I you know I was a retail buyer for eight years before, and at Uva. I think around the time we left, we had 750 wines in the store, right? And so that wasn't a, it wasn't that big a deal to maintain. I weirdly, like, I, I didn't have an office. I didn't even have a chair. I worked behind the counter, and so I rung up most of the customers all day long and tasted with reps and, um, and um, ordered wine. Now, there was a great staff there, and there were a lot of people that worked during the day, and, like, it was a really fun place to work, and people, you know, we were all really supportive of each other. And it, it worked, but I was really used to handling that volume of wine. You know what I mean? And to me, like, when you get to a point where, you know, there's that much out there that you want to do, and then you like, we opened 165 wines, which was good, but it was, like, slightly disappointing because there are lots of things we like. And, you know, we're not just an Instagram natural wine place. It's really important to us to have classical wines that we love. Like, we're, I love Barolo and Burgundy and mm-hmm. things like that. And, like, and even wines that, are like, maybe even, like, you know, nat- natural wines that have gone out of vogue by producers that aren't, like, the coolest producers anymore, the wines that really mean a lot to me, and have them on the list and just, you know, show these wines. We just kept, we just kept wanting more. And then, like, you know, James and I love champagne. Mm-hmm. And Randy, and all of us, all, all the partners and the employees, like, all the, all those, all the servers, like, love champagne. And so, like, we have three pages of champagne. Like, but what am I, you know, Baresh comes in and I'm not going to take it. Like, I want to have that wine. Like, you know, um, you know, those are really important wines to us, too. And it's fun to offer that stuff. And to be able to be multiple places for your customers. You know, it's very easy for us to have, like, a table of over 50-year-old wine people that find a lot to drink in the list. And then a table of, like six really loud guys from Montreal from like the natural wine scene up there that can stay there all night and drink mags and they could exist in the same room and they could order from the same menu and they can have completely different experiences in the restaurant. I think that that's, it's really good 
you know that, that that really works, and that's why we can have so much wine because it it wor- it fills um, it like fills responsibilities. How do you feel when people characterize you as a natural wine destination? I mean, I, I think it's true. I mean, I think that we probably have one of the most one of the deepest natural wine lists in the country, as far as the things that we represent and what we know and what we sell. Um, I don't know if you're going to find that many places in New York that have 400 wines that are made without, you know, w- without um, intervention, you know. Um, and I, I, it's fine. I don't think that we're, I mean, I came up in that world and I learned about classical wine. And I also still drink some wines that probably, like, my friends in, you know, Denmark would laugh at me for drinking. But, like, I like, we all like wine, and I, we don't want to get in an argument about it with anybody about anything either. Like, yeah, we do have a, a, you know, we do have a dogma about what we will take in. We don't like wines that, you know, we don't like wines that are inoculated. We, no, it's just not the way we yeah. work. I'm starting to move more toward being interested in white wines that don't go through malolactic fermentation, mm. personally. Um, for me, that are, inoculated I mean, I mean, I mean that do that big. only go that go all the way through malolactic fermentation. That's through. what I mean. That's what I mean. All the way through mallow, not that, yeah, not, without that's, stop. That's mallows. a little bit, a little bit yeah. more intervention. Yeah, to yeah. Stop sorry, the that's yeah. I yeah. misspoke. I, wines that um wines that go all the way through mallow are really interesting to me. Um, and uh, you know, for me, non-interventionist means that people are working organically, naturally in the vineyards. And not just like using organic chemicals, like, you know, without chemical intervention as much as possible. And then I still don't have a problem with sulfur racking or bottling. I've never made wine. You know what I mean? So like all this stuff is just paper and like years of tasting being like, these are the things I prefer. These are the things that I seem not to like. Um, And I like wines without like, you know, glycerin and thickeners and chapelization and things like that. Also, I do know that everybody lies. People lie all the time. So you never know. Like, maybe it's capitalized. Maybe it's got stuff in it. You don't know what happens behind the cellar doors. It's scary easy to lie about it, actually. <laughs> I think it is, too. I really do. And there's, like, a like, weird I, level I, I, of trust in, like, almost like, it's like, you know, I have a I have a three-and-a-half-year-old, and, like, it's amazing, like, you think that, like, you can tell these little kid, you can tell this little kid, like, well, don't do that because this will happen or something. And he's like, no, that's totally not true. Like, he's, he has, <laughs> I seem to have more blind, innocent faith in the way this wine works than, like, my three-and-a-half-year-old has in the entire world. Oh you God, know? So it's like, I'm, you have to be willing to kind of close one eye sometimes. Right. Or just, you know. And or if you the know, wine rep you, says this is made from all 100-year-old right. vines and right. so they're going to, like, no, you don't, yeah. you're not, you don't know. Well, we're lucky. We're lucky people. You know, guys like me and you are lucky because we've spent a tremendous amount of time in Europe, in the mm-hmm. vines, meeting winemakers, traveling. And there are people I know that I trust that I don't think are, are, are lying. And I think they take these huge risks and that time and time again, like, it works against them. You know, like, they have a wine that's completely screwed up and, like, not drinkable. And they don't know what to do. And had they just sulfured it, maybe nobody would have noticed. Yeah. And then they could have got out of the cellar and, you know, made a, a few grand. I've heard, I've heard from a few people in Europe saying when they have a, a wine like that, they just send it to Copenhagen and, or Japan. Yeah. Or Japan. That was always, yeah, that's true too. <laughs> I mean, that's what they say because volatile and things like that are, are not, are not an issue because it's a cult. Those are cult, like cultures that grew up in fermentation and vinegars and stuff like that. And like, they've no, that's not a problem. They can almost taste through it. You know, and my friends from there, I, sometimes I can't drink wines that like, my buddies, they're like, I just can't handle it. And and they're like, oh, I don't even taste the volatile. Or it's just got a little bit. And to me, it's like the most volatile thing you've ever tasted. That's crazy. Um, but, 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 but anyway, so, yeah, I, you know, as far as us being considered a natural wine bar or, or, or use it as that being a positive or negative, you know, we have, we have natural wine. Like, that's just the way it is. Will that be like that forever? I don't know. I think the future 
of places like us and places that do what we do that that are starting to like and us raising our our sort of level of um of what we do to to into like more of the like the the higher restaurant world mm-hmm. is that we sell wines without intervention that aren't just instagrammable like wines of the moment and that's what i'm really which, interested which in. are those wines well, i don't know i mean you know you look at that stuff like you look at instagram and like everybody's posting pictures of whatever over and while they drank or that's not even the case like i'm talking about younger winemakers too just like it just seems like there's like it'll be like a hive mind moment mm-hmm. where like some new wine will come into the market that's like oh gudagao is a great example oh, yeah. of that right yeah great wines like really interesting wines cool people like they had been in the market in New York before and like nobody bought them. And then like all of a sudden because of social media, they were everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like, it seemed like every person that like was like in the wine community were like had one, like for God's sakes, they pour them at Aldo Psalm wine bar. Like that's mind blowing to me. Like they were Instagramming it at places like that. Right. So it's you know? such a classicist. Yeah. It's just like, that's and like, you know, they have an amazing list and they do their thing, but like somehow that broke through to what they do. Um, and and we sell those wines too, and I think that they're they're super good. But but there is a whole level of like, if we have this, can we be in the club? Mm-hmm. Like we're just gonna get social media. Can we like do that? And I, I don't really care about that as much anymore. It's like we can do what we do. We can exist in our corner of the world and have the wines that we want. And I really do think that like having wines that are still made the way that we believe in them, but happen to be like old Barolo, or happen to be like Burgundy that's not Priory Roque. Like, is important, and I think that 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 shows that we actually have a depth and, and a knowledge of wine, rather than like we just went to France and wrote down what everybody has, and now we sell those wines. Yeah, yeah. And on that note, we're just going to take a quick break. We'll be back more with Justin Cherno of the Four Horsemen right after this. program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters who acknowledge the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chefs Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Hi, I'm Sherry Bayer, host of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network, a weekly show dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Tune in on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear about the incredible careers of top restaurant and hospitality professionals. Plus, on each episode, I tip the show off with a PR tip, 
feature a speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question, which ties the series together. Support my show and all of Heritage Radio Network's programming. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to become a member today. All right, we're back with Justin Cherno of the Four Horsemen. My favorite place to eat and drink right now. It's just an awesome uh, wine restaurant. I'm going to coin that term uh, in uh, in Williamsburg with great service, great food, uh, and it, it's a destination wine. I mean, that's all I can say. There's there's uh, 400 wines there and probably 399 that I want to drink. Um, so, Justin, one of the cool things that you've been doing, uh, I actually, uh, I, I kind of goofed earlier. I sent, uh, I sent my friend Ryan from Nora Gray uh, an email. I was like, oh, buddy, you're going to be in town. You're doing a collaboration with the Four Horsemen. He's like, and he got back to me. He's like, uh, that was last year, um, <laughs> but I would totally do it again. It was a great experience. Um, so you've been doing this series called The, the Fifth Horseman, mm-hmm. um, where you have a collaboration. And tell, tell, us, uh, tell us about this. Well. I mean, some, that's one thing that we really talked about a lot when we were getting started was that we really wanted to bring some of the places that we loved into the restaurant in a way that we thought pop-ups and things like that had failed in the past, which was like, I, you know, I've been a lot of these things in New York where I'd get really excited where like one of my favorite restaurants would come and they would like get there the day of and they didn't recognize any of the products compared to the products they had in the country they lived in they cobbled together some really like $500 or experience and like you're like well, wait it costs like 80 bucks to eat at your restaurant in Europe yeah and like and the food was nowhere near the same and only really the only thing was that the plating style was similar and the chef was in the room and those were like things that I was really disappointed by and we wanted to do it with places that not necessarily you know, that didn't usually do stuff like that and also try to do it as, as much as possible a la carte rather than prefix so that's that people cool. can stop in and like really just try some things and hang out. So that's sort of where the fifth horseman idea came from. And um, we've been able to do some really cool stuff. Like we brought, uh, we had Margot Henderson from Rochelle Canteen come over and she did two nights with us and it was really exceptional and like warm and like fun and then we had the Fairvalet guys come over That's last cool. year and we brought no not only did we bring um Cyril the owner and, and the chef Taka but we brought four of the front of house guys over because the experience at that a restaurant like that is mm-hmm. your interaction with the front of house team and so we did had, they close the restaurant I mean that's a, no they had they had the other guys yeah, working yeah, yeah. you know they came over here for a week and we wow. had an incredible time because they we did no wine list like they did there because they knew all the wines that we had and they were comfortable with it and they served like their food, like it was totally their style, and um, and then we had their guys with our with our team on the floor, and it was really inspiring and fun, and like it was a little reckless, and it was great. And then um, we had let me think, oh, we, we had, had this, Thomas Keller. We had Thomas there. Keller. How did you yeah. ever get Thomas Keller? I didn't know that he would even like go to Brooklyn. I thought he, he has like a, a direct private <laughs> flight from like Columbus Circle to Napa. To Napa. Yeah, it's he. Um, it was a funny story. It's we amazing. really wanted we really wanted to do something with Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery. Uh, he does um, chooses the beers for the restaurant. Works with beer with us, um, and also he um, 
he makes a beer for us called the Shallows, which is like this like three and a half percent, like perfect little draft beer. It's kind of like our joke is always like, what if Budweiser tasted good? And like and he does that for us exclusively. And, we, and it's something we've had on since day one. That's awesome. Um, and we wanted to have like a beer you could come in and like have like a pint. You know, your friend. You know, two people come in and like I don't like wine. I don't want to go to this wine place. And like yeah, but. They have beer. I don't want fancy beers. Like, no, they have like a beer that kind of tastes like Budweiser, but pretty good. And they're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm here, fine here. Oh, I Especially, I imagine, yeah. not to interrupt the story, but yeah. like, you probably mm-hmm. get a lot of industry people in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes after working a long shift, exactly. you just want like a light, mm-hmm. even if I know I'm going to drink wine, mm-hmm. I just want that beer yeah. cleanser. That's almost, that's exactly how we sell it. I mean, that's who buys yeah. it. So, so anyway, so, so we were talking about doing something with Garrett and, one thing leads to another, and he mentioned one chef, and we kind of reached out to them, and they were working on a new project, and we thought that that chef was kind of shooting for the moon, and we're like, oh, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll figure something out, and he got back to me one day, and he's like, how about Thomas Keller? And I was like, what? He's like, no, he's like, he's like, you know, I've done stuff for them, I've made beer for French Laundry and Per Se for a long time, and we have a relationship, we're kind of overdue to do something, and I was like, I was like... I went to the group and I was like, "Hey, how do you guys feel about Thomas Keller?" And the chef must have been over. He was, he was like, he's like, dude, Thomas Keller is not going to come here, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And um, and Garrett, like, you never can, you never underestimate Garrett Oliver. Essentially, like, he sent an email and like, I, I think like seven hours later, he's like, Thomas Keller is in. Wow. And we were just like, we've got to be kidding me. And and uh, we put together an event, um, a dinner. That was, was a prefix. Where he came in with uh, two of his guys, um, with Devin, who was at French Laundry for a long time, and is like kind of does corporate stuff for them. And uh, they came in the day before, and we, you know, we, we had conference calls and all this stuff, and like we really put together an experience of like another thing that we want to do is to make it feel like it's just not the chef there. So like we were talking to them about what do you do at French mm-hmm. Laundry, and like so we had like we made tote bags for the evening that every guest got. And we had in that tote bag on your way out, you got Per Se's popcorn, you got some chocolates from their chocolate factory at French Laundry, you got a beer glass from Brooklyn Brewery, and you got an explanation of all the beers. Because it was a beer pairing dinner. There was no wine served. It was Thomas Keller and Garrett's beers. And then an explanation of all the beers. And, uh, and like, it was like, it was really like a fully like luxury kind of experience. And, Chef Keller worked the room and hung out and like oh worked. Up. He expedited. He walked around to every table, talked to everyone, stood for the first service. We did two service. First service, he stood at the door and shook everyone's hand that no. came in. And people were just like, oh my God, this is like really happening. <laughs> like Thomas Keller's actually here. I don't think he cooked for people that young in 20 years. Right. You know, it was like a really young crowd. And the other thing I have to give to him that I thought was really cool was like when we were in conversation on the phone, we were like, how about we make it this price, which was, was, was pretty high. And he was like, what can we do to make it feel more like we're in your restaurant? What can we do more to present it as something that's a reasonable experience for what your customers are used to paying, but we're there? Like, we want to we want to be in your restaurant. We want to be work. We want to make this a, really a collaboration. And so to be on the phone with Thomas Keller and be planning this event and have him tell you, let's make it cheaper. And, like, have his chef being like, yeah, chef, I think we can hit those food costs was a really incredible thing. And... um just to be in a conversation with someone of that level where he would step in and could get all the details, get all the ideas. And then after, you know, we were on, a, I went on the phone for once an hour before he even came on the call. And then he came in and five minutes after on the phone, he had the best idea of everybody. And he had only been on the phone. You know what I mean? Like some people operate on just a truly exceptional level. 
and it was really it was really incredible. But that also shows the power of what you're doing. That he'd be open to doing that, and and he got, I think he, I think he vetted us a little bit, and sent okay. some people in, and, and I think oh, you know, yeah. and it worked out. He said like some of the sous chefs at Per Se really liked the restaurant, and I, it helped. That's cool. What what fifth horseman do you have coming up? We we don't. We got a little event burned out because like right before Thomas Keller, two weeks before that, we had the Sportsman from UK, wow. which is just for the second year in a row named best restaurant in the UK. Um, and which was an incredible experience too. And like, we're we're looking at we've got a bunch of stuff on the table, and we're trying to figure it out. We just actually we just got back from London, and we did pop ups there, which is something we'd never done. We did some stuff around real wine fair. We did um, an afternoon at Braun, uh, that was just us, and then we did a night at Terroir Wine Bar, which was us. It's Four Horsemen, Barbrutal, Le Vervelet, and Embla from Australia. And for for me. It was really amazing to have us mentioned in that group of people after only being open a year and a half, two years. It was really flattering, and it meant that like we were on the right track, I thought. You know what I mean? It sounds like you guys are doing a ton of travel. I mean, how important is traveling for, uh, for research, for enjoyment? The other partners travel more. Um, James travels because of his job in the band, and he's, he's gone all the time. Uh, and Christina also travels for her work. Randy um, is always on the road doing something, going somewhere, and... Uh, exploring so like i don't get out as much as i used to um but it's important for us to know what's going on and keep bringing back that that kind of inspiration our staff travels a lot too you know we've got some other stuff we're hoping to do down the road but um i I can't wait to get the event series going again because i think it really is what explained to people when you have the sportsman come in or you have like you know margo or ryan comes in from nora gray we're a restaurant. Like these people don't do, you don't do a pop-up like that and serve dinner in a wine bar. Right. You know what I mean? Like it was, it's full on restaurant food. And, uh, I think that that's what helped people understand. Like when Thomas Keller comes in and cooks dinner at your place, like you're, you're, you're officially a restaurant. Now, I mean, you've spoken about London, mm-hmm. Paris, yeah. uh, Denmark, mm-hmm. Tokyo. Is there anywhere that is kind of, uh, you know, under the radar, that's a great wine city, or is it? Is it I haven't, like, again, like, I haven't traveled as much, but like, I think, like, this is just an incredible time for wine. I think that what's happening right now with the accessibility and, like, you know, as much as I want to make fun of like people just choosing wine for their wine list off Instagram and not like really having their own opinions because of social media and being able to read about these things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I could look, I can go online and like read a distributor's uh, portfolio from London and see what their experience and their, their ideas and their time with a winemaker means to them. And like read about their, you know, read about the vine age and the, the, the you know, the, the cellar work and things like that. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the amount of information out there is really interesting. And so I think that there's like starting to be great wine to be had all over the place. Uh, when I go back to Youngstown, Ohio, there's nothing to drink, you know, but I think that'll change. That, that'll change. And there, um, but, you know, the other thing I think is really cool that's happening is that service is, is getting better. And I think that that's like something that's very interesting that's coming along with, with there being more, more uh, like a democratic version of wine mm-hmm. and democratic style of a restaurant. You know, like you go to London, like we, when we were just in London, I was just floored by how good the service was at so many places. Like, and they were pouring, like, you know, neat, like, great wines and great wine lists. Like, Braun, you can close your eyes and point to the list. Wow. It's a, anything you point to, you want to drink. Mm. And it's and it's exceptional, and it's, like, 
and it will make everybody happy. Natural wine people are not like they're just solid wines. And the level of service was just through the roof. The way the team worked together, the way that there was like, the way everyone was looking out for each other and like nothing was like, well, that's your job. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was really, really fluid and nice. Montreal's another city like that where just like the commitment to the restaurant and the teamwork and the feeling of the, everybody being kind of in it together is really powerful. And I, I hope we start to see more of that in the States. And how about when you're here in New York? Where do you like to drink other than your place? I mean, I like, I really like uh, Sauvage. Um, I like Christoph a lot, and I love his list. So I drink there. It's near my it's house. It's a beautiful restaurant. Yeah, too, it's near yeah. my house, and it's cool, and the windows are open. But like his lists are like, he doesn't get the credit that he mm. deserves for making the wine list that he makes. The wine list that he makes on Premier and the wine list at Sauvage are excellent. Oh, yeah. And he spends a lot of time on them, and he does a lot of like cool gray market sourcing and stuff. Like he's got good stuff. I remember, and, I think it was, I mean, years ago, like early in the years of Maison Premier, they just like, mm out of nowhere put this awesome muscadet list together yeah. which makes total sense it does. Uh, but it, it was cool i've never seen that many on a list like before 25 muscadets it like, was so like cool 12 of them are large formats or something and it but that kind of thing led, leads to people celebrating and having fun you know yeah I, I those are that's a place i really like to drink um you know always a big fan of like the tarlow empire like the, again the, the neighborhood like the wines work like and they seem to work they're really good at finding specific wines that work within the context of their restaurants too. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's always been great. And there was a period of time where like that was the only place in Williamsburg to go drink that stuff, and it was a risky move for him to like move, you know move to all that stuff so long ago. Um, that's for like for these days. That's kind of like I mostly stay in the neighborhood, and that's mostly what I'm. What I'm well, into. yeah, you're yeah. you're a busy guy. You also got yeah. a little one. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, but like those are the places I like, um, and you know. I like to BYOB at like Chinatown places and stuff like that. That's too. So, so much fun. I yeah, love that. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what's the main difference between buying for four horsemen and buying for a, a retail store? Well, volume, first of all, is a huge one. Like when I was at Uva, I could be like, send me the 10 case drop on that. Send wow, me 20, okay. you know, send me 20 of those or, you know, we'll bill and hold all this stuff or, you know, bill and hold something that works for us, but, but you don't see it as much anymore. Bill and hold is when, you um you can buy the best deal, the best volume discount, but only have a few cases sent to your seller at a time. Um, so volume is number one, uh, the main the main thing. The other thing is the truth is like, it took me a while to get my head around the fact that like we don't need three cases of that wine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I also am the kind of buyer that I think it, I just don't like calling a distributor and being like, "We'll have three bottles of that, please." You know, please break that case because I know that that's expensive and it works. And like, if you're going to sell the wine, just commit and sell the wine. Just have the wine. Just take a case. You know what I mean? Like, if they have a broken case and you take six, or it's really expensive or something, that's another issue. But I think you know, if you want to have the wine in the list, you should you should commit to, to having the wine and and just just deal with it. Um, that's one. Two is the idea that I had to get my head around about how like. You could serve things that are a little more, you could sell things that are a little more flawed, a little more messed up, a little more like incomplete in retail because that person, that wine will not be consumed in front of you. Right? Interesting. Okay, like yeah. people can take a wine home and it's wild and it's weird and they can spend some time with it. Oh man, I opened that thing up, it was crazy. But you know, tomorrow it tastes, or you know, the next day it tasted awesome in a restaurant. That wine has to be pretty good out of the bottle, even out if it gets the help of a decan mm-hmm. or shaken up to get some CO2 out or whatever. You you have to like really be ready to like stand behind that wine and, and believe in it. And there are wines that I would sell at retail that are maybe a little more wacky 
that I wouldn't sell at the restaurant. Yeah. You know, for, for that reason. And that's something that took me a little time. Would you give people a disclaimer or say, listen, this is how, like, I really recommend you decant it for a couple of hours, or this is going to be super funky, like, right. don't drink it with the in-laws or something like right, that. Right, yeah, yeah, I used to say that kind of stuff all the time. Because at Uva, it was, like, right around the time this stuff started to really happen, like, for, with natural wine. People were like, what is the craziest thing you have? You know what I That's, mean? They'd ask for that. Like, All the time. They'd be like, what is like, what is like, do you have something like stuff in it? You know what I mean? Because they read about it and like, I get it. And when I, when I wrote the list at the Horseman, I've talked about this before, but when I wrote the list of the Horseman, I really was really focused and I was like, we won't have one wine with Brett. We won't have one wine with VA. We won't have anything with like any flaws whatsoever. And it was kind of a boring wine list. You know what I mean? It was it was good and it was clean. It was clear. It was focused. But there are producers that we like that have a little VA or maybe have like a little a little Brett that isn't like a bummer. You know what I mean? It like adds to the complete complete part of the wine. It wasn't like we were just buying wines that were just like refermenting and, and stupid stuff like that. It was like, but people that came in, they're like, oh, do you have anything that's maybe a little more like what I've read about these wines being like? You know, do you have anything that like will give me more of that experience? And and I realized that like. It's okay to take some risks, and your your clients really want they want to see something. Your guests your guests want like they 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 want to go on the ride with you sometimes. And I think it's fun. Like if we have something that servers like a server or or, or a few will like be like, I know this wine's a little out there, but I know people want will want this, and I can read them. And like I think we should have a case of this. I'll order it in a second. You know, it's like it's because that's important too. Yeah, because they're going to be selling all the wine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they sell all the wine, and like, sense. and like, and they know uh, the people there are good enough that I know that when a fifty-year-old couple that read about us on Zagat comes in because they heard that we have a quiet restaurant, which happens. There's like a New York Times wow. article about restaurants with like good soundproofing. We got like a weird surge of people from the Upper East Side in their fifties. Like I heard this restaurant's very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it is. But like it's. It's funny, like what, it is a very what, what pleasant happens, dining experience. What happens, yeah, what happens but, to that stuff? But you, know, I trust, and I know the servers are smart enough that they wouldn't be like, "Do you guys want to try some beanie?" You know what I mean? Like it's they, it's 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 um it's like a trust situation. So yeah. that's that's for me is the main thing, and just um, not being able to buy everything, like being able to be like relaxed enough to be like, okay, this wine's in the market, and blah blah blah, is pouring it, and that's really cool. And I'm happy they have it, but like, you know what? We don't have room right now. Got some other stuff coming in, and I'm just gonna let it go. It's hard. The it's self, really self, hard, man. Yeah. But it is. But you know, you'll be like, I'll get it next year. Yeah, I get or it. Or maybe, year. or like, yeah. or when somebody releases their holds on it, which is inevitable. Which the happens. distributor calls me and is like, you know what? I actually have that. I'll take a case of it like six months from now. Mm-hmm. But like, it's uh. I have to like just being able to be focused and not just have your eyes drawn all over the place because of social media, you know what everybody's pouring, what everybody just got in and like, and always like, and trying to help your staff, like be like, Hey, I know that that place has that. And I know that it would work here, but check out what we have. Right. Like we have this and they would never sell this and they, you know, or they couldn't sell this. And like, you get to play with this, you know what I mean? Like you get to have this stuff and like, so just chill. Like I'd rather spend that money on like we just got some Guillaume Solosin, you know. I mean that's like Solosin's son, the really, really expensive champagnes, but people are into that stuff and they can mm-hmm. go buy it. It's really cool. Like that's also I've learned that whole thing that I was really nervous about about looking expensive is that if you put that wine on your list, if you put the expensive stuff on there, that's great. Not just because it's expensive. 
people will come and buy it. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll seek you out. They'll be like, oh, this is a place where I could drink this? And, like, it's this experience, and it's not, like, a, like a crazy loud bar, and, like, the food is really elegant and smart. I'll totally come in and yeah. buy, you know, like a bottle of old, you know, whatever, $300 wine or Old Clop or, or Barolo or whatever. People do and it. it. It helps that you have the food to match it and, oh, exactly. the, and the service. That's, I think that that's yeah. something that's that helped. Having somebody like Thomas Keller or the sportsman come really helps people understand that, like, it's it's gonna work, you know, and they're they're gonna be they're gonna be safe. All right, Justin, that's all the time we have. Great, uh, thank you so much for coming on in the uh, drink. Appreciate it. It's great to hang out with you for a little bit, man. Uh, and if you guys can't tell, I'm I love the Four Horsemen. So go. Uh, this is uh, this was Justin Cherno of the Four Horsemen, the wine buyer and partner at the Four Horsemen. Um, I just want to thank you guys all for listening. I want to thank uh, Dave Tadashore who puts the show together every week. Help was provided by Haley Crane. And the show is In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.